Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. With you, see if you can remember. One is Pedro, the other is Mark, and the last one is Aaron. Pedro, Mark and Aaron. I'm going to tell some stories about those guys today. First of all, let's reflect back where we came from last week and uh, have a look. Well, we've got some giving here. I think we can go past the giving. <laughs> okay. All right. So the key scripture was, was this after I read a section out of Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 to 35. And in those few verses at the end of Joshua 8, it's mentioned five times about the law of Moses. And then I picked up on this verse here which comes out of a message given by Paul the Apostle. And he says that we can be freed from everything that the law could not set you free from. The law just points us to Christ the Saviour. So that's where we ended up last week. I'm going to continue on here. We looked at these three things. We looked at justification, which deals with your past. You can be put right before God. Sanctification deals with presently, right now, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit being empowered, and glorification has to do with your eternal future. So I'm going to back up, and uh, we just want to look at this word justification just for a moment, and I'm going to tell you a story about how justification works. It's about being set free from things that you know you want to deal with, but no rules, regulations, or even principles can set you free from those things. In other words, you know what you the right thing to do, but you just can't get there. And Jesus puts us right from all of these things. Uh, Pedro is a, a, a church planter, and he's in the north of Mozambique. Mozambique is about a third of the way up the African east coast, it's in one of the top 10 poorest countries of the world. I was there just a couple of years ago and visiting some of these works where we have church painters that we've trained. And it's in the north of Mozambique. What you find is the Tanzanian Muslim population are coming down over the border into the north of Mozambique and they are aligned with the Islamic State. They don't use the name Islamic State, but they're pushed down through into that pocket of Mozambique. And if you followed the news, there's been a huge petrochemical, uh, I think it's Shell, there have had to shut their massive multi-billion dollar complex down because of the, the Islamic State operatives there, you see, who are, who are permeating that area. So it's a, it's a war zone going on presently. It's also an area where a lot of nominal Muslims live. When I say nominal Muslim, I mean people who are culturally Muslim but may not necessarily practice to the full extent of their Islamic faith. Now, Pedro is a guy who works in that environment. He lives right there, Pedro does. And uh, he was telling us that just this year, in that pocket where there's a war zone going on, he's baptised with his colleagues, 410 Muslims have come to faith. Now, what does that mean? That means justification is happening. Muslims are seeing the prophet Jesus, whom is highly respected in Islam, and rightly so, but they're seeing him not just as the prophet to be respected, but the prophet that puts your past right and deals with the sin problem. And therein is the nub of the issue. 
how to deal with the sin problem. So that's pretty exciting. And Pedro has got a, a problem on his hands. He can't travel now because the imams of that area have issued a fatwa, which means a, a, a declaration that anyone who's a practicing a follower, a, pra a practicing follower of Jesus is to be persecuted in the fullest way. So uh, he's getting around the problem, cunning guy he is. He's, he's set things up so that people meet in small groups, not large ones, so that lowers the profile, of course. The other thing is he's using the mobile phone networks to the fullest extent. And he is discipling and training leaders through mobile phone every day. That's what he does. He sits at home. If he goes out and they capture him, they'll probably take his head off. And so he is uh, using technology to get into people's homes all over the north of Mozambique. That's, only, that's 410 this year who have decided to follow Jesus. I'm not counting the several thousand from the previous years. So friends, this word of justification is a word that's often deeply buried and we lose the significance of it. You know, the message is that Jesus Christ puts your past right. And that is often lost when we say this. We say, oh, Jesus died for your sins. But people don't know why I don't even have any problem, right? Until you know you've got a problem, you can't be saved from it, right? And so justification declares you to be innocent before the living God in the throne of heaven. And that is experienced and you know, when you've experienced that in a deep personal way, baptism follows. And for a, for a Muslim to be baptized, that often can mean being excluded from your community or it can mean death in some places. Now, the point of Jesus Christ is not to convert your religion, but to convert your heart. You know, Jesus didn't come to start a religious system. He came to start a movement of faith. And that's what God is doing among the Muslim world. There are millions. We have seen, not me personally, but uh, missionaries have seen 29 million Muslims come to Christ in the last 15 years. Friends, count that every day. This is happening counted number by number and people that are baptized. And so Muslims that are choosing baptism are understanding the power of getting your past put right. And then, of course, you follow that through. I wanted to share that story of what Pedro is doing. Today, he's probably discipling. There are a few hours behind us. He'll get up and he'll get on his cheap $8 mobile phone. That's how much you can buy these things for in these countries flooding in from China. And they can now disciple people in ways you could never do it before. Let's go to a guy called Mark. That's not his real name. Mark lives in Pakistan. I know Mark. I've trained Mark. He lives not in, not in one of the big cities, in a, in a minor provincial city. Uh, he's a, a radical evangelist and manages to walk around with his head. He shouldn't have it because, because if you say too much in places like Pakistan, you can easily get yourself into very, very deep water. And uh, he's a former follower of Islam in a very fundamentalist way, quite a radical fundamentalist guy in his background. And he discovered this word justification that you can be put right before God. And he was put right before the living God in his heart, and he understood that. And he's so filled with the, the passion of this new life that he shares with anyone anywhere. And he was sharing with a couple of imams recently. Imam is the leader of a mosque. And he's, he was sharing about who Jesus was, that he puts your past right. And these imams came to see Jesus in a new way. 
They saw him not just as the prophet, they saw him as saviour. Now that's often very buried and it's got to be unearthed. And they, they discovered that Jesus indeed was the saviour and they found salvation. And I just found out about two weeks ago when I was talking to one of my colleagues in Afghanistan where I, I mentor a guy there and he was telling me about Mark and he said, brother, you wouldn't believe this, but they're, they're using our training in the middle of the night in a couple of mosques where they meet secretly. <laughs> right? And for me, that's a thrill because, because uh, it's called dis, dis, uh, Disciples Making Disciples. Uh, and for me to know that's happening is pretty wild stuff. Now, you might think, well, well isn't this the invasion of an, another person's religion? No, we're not talking about religion. This is about faith. You see, if you want to talk to people about Jesus, get away from religion. Talk about confidence in the, the justifier, Jesus Christ. And of course, people congregate together and we call that religion, obviously, as people band together. We're called Baptists by religious definition. But, but you know, you can wear the, wear the badge and be empty in your heart, right? Unless you're put right before God. So that's just a couple of stories I wanted to tell you. Look, God, in the Muslim world, it is in, insane what's happening in some places. As I just said 29 million in the last 15 years. I can show you the stats. I got the got the charts on it. Something's happening in what in in ways that's outside of Christianity. And you think that everything has to be christianized. In other words, has to wear the badge Christian. No, it does not. You know, you can be a follower of Jesus and not wear the badge called Christian. Would that be true? Okay. The badge won't change your heart. And so many of these Muslims actually, to simply stay alive and function in their community, still operate within the Islamic community. In other words, if you don't attend the mosque, you'll be arrested. And if you refuse to do that, you'll be beaten by rods in some places, right? So you attend the mosque, not, not, to, not necessarily because you may like that, but you also want your friends to know Jesus until you want to stay in the community. Is that right? And so better to stay in the community than be tossed out of it. And so millions and millions of Muslims are following Christ in this way. And it's really a fascinating thing. What I'm telling you is new things are happening on the earth we've never seen before. Whole movements, and we've experienced this in Indonesia, uh, where we ordinarily live okay so three good words really great words i love those words deeply let's move on okay sanctification that's the one i want to pick up on today again uh, this word sanctification has to do with our relationship with the holy spirit and the word of god you know uh, the bible talks about father son and holy spirit okay uh, some people believe that christians have three gods they have God, God as uh, God the Father, and there's another God called Jesus, and another God called Holy Spirit. Now it's not not, not like that at all. Uh, there's one, one God represented in three ways, and this is an important piece of theology to understand. Our relationship to the Holy Spirit is what sanctification has to do with. Justification has to do with our relationship with Jesus dying on the cross, and glorification, as we saw uh, when I had the three panels up there glorification has to do with your relationship with your heavenly father 
Because when you die, Jesus says this in John 14, 1. Jesus says, I go, no, he says, in my father's house, I have prepared a place for you, Jesus says. And so your eternal future has to do with your relationship with God the Father. And this is really interesting. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has to do with justification, Jesus, sanctification, Holy Spirit, and glorification, God the Father. And there's another, th another way to remember this. We talk about faith, hope, and love, right? Paul says there's three things that are really important, faith, hope, and love. Okay, faith has to do with Jesus Christ. Love has to do with the Holy Spirit that's poured out in our hearts. And hope has to do with the hope of being with our eternal Father forevermore, as it says in John 14.1. So there's many of these things all link up together. Let's move on. Throughout the Bible, sanctification is mentioned as a calling to align yourself with the will of God. And the other thing is to cleanse ourselves from sin. This whole idea of aligning ourselves with the will of God is a little bit of a mystery. There's been books written on this, how to discern the will of God and how to know the will of God. And this can be a confusing thing for saints, Christians. We don't know, well, am I, am I on the right path in life? You know, Is this the will of God for my life is a good question. But that question must be answered with an earlier question. Have I got my life sanctified in other words aligned with God's primary will which is to cleanse yourself from sin and as I said last week if you carry a whole lot of stuff around in your life that's that's sinful baggage it's difficult to discover the will of God and so when we get our life cleaned up sanctified by God's Holy Spirit walking in the primary will of God then the daily or weekly will of God or yearly will of God, it becomes more evident and more clear to us as we walk with him. So I'm going to come back to that thought a little bit later. Let's move into Joshua chapter 9. And you might say, what has this got to do with sanctification? Well, it has a little bit to do with it and you will see. I'm going to read this passage. It's a little bit long. What I'm going to do is skip out a whole bunch of verses so we're not here till lunchtime in this chapter. So what we've got is uh, the surra surrounding nations called the Canaanites. And they all end with ite. There's the Hivites, the Gibeonites, and the, they've all got the ites on the end. And they're small tribes effectively in, in the land of Canaan. And Joshua, in obedience to what God has said, they cross the Jordan River and they come into the land and they're told to, to move all these tribes out, you see, okay? And so in obedience to that, he does it. And so we're going to pick up on verse 4 here and it says this. When the population of Gideon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted cleverly. So Joshua had... In obedience to the Lord, seen a great miracle, God did this and the whole city was leveled, you see. And so the surrounding population are a little bit worried about what's happening. And some of them gang up in warfare against Joshua. But these Gibeonites were a little more shrewd. They set out pretending to be messengers. They took worn out sacks for their donkeys and worn out wineskins that were split and mended. But they actually only lived next door. They lived just a couple of valleys away. And so they acted shrewdly as if they came from a long distance. So they, they went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal 
And they said to him uh, and to Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a treaty with us. Then they said to Joshua, we are your servants. Joshua said to them, well, who are you and where have you come from? They said to him, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the reputation of the Lord your God. We have heard a report about him and everything he did in Egypt. Ah, so these Gibeonites are recognizing something about Joshua and his band that there's, there's something different about them. All right? And so in a sense, there's a, there's a measure of faith in the life of these Gibeonites because they recognize uh, we're in big trouble here and it's not because Joshua has got a sword. It's because something's supernatural happening in his leadership, right? And so they, they come and they, they tell Joshua, this is what we've observed. Let's move on to verse 14. So there's a, a few other pieces go on there which are incidental to the theme of the story. Then the Israelites, Israelites took some of the supplies of the Gibeonites, that is, but they did not ask for any decision from the Lord. Joshua made peace with them. He made a treaty with them to protect their lives. The leaders of the community made a solemn pledge before them. Take note of the bit there. They did not ask any decision from the Lord about making this, this covenant, if you like, with these Gibeonites. Story's not finished yet. Let's move on to verse 19. And it says, Then all the leaders of the whole community said this, We have made a solemn pledge to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, so we can't touch them. The people of Israel actually wanted to kick them out. But Josh said, Don't touch them. We've made a deal with them. You know, And so you've got to honor your word. Verse 21. The leaders uh, went on to say to them, let them live. So they became woodcutters and water haulers for the whole community, exactly as the leaders had intended for them. So we'll move on to 22. No, we won't move on to 22. So that's the nub of the story, is that they make this deal without asking the Lord, is it a good deal with these people that came to them? And so we see here in this verse, they did not ask any decision of the Lord. They didn't even stop to pray and say, God, is this a good decision or not to make a deal with these guys, you see? So what you do with scripture is you observe, first of all, and you read the passage. What's the observations that we make? Then we make an, an interpretation of that scripture for us today, okay? What happened back then is back then. What does that story mean for us today? So we interpret that story, looking at it through the New Testament lens. And then we make an application of that. So observation, interpretation, and then application. So let's make some application out of Joshua chapter 9. All right, the Gibeonites. It looked like a reasonable deal. Fair enough. I, I probably might have thought the same, right? These guys have come a long distance. Yep, looked at their gear. It's worn out. The, 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 you know, they've driven across Australia. Their car tires are completely worn out. And these guys, you know, they, who, they are who they say they are. In fact, they were not, right? In other words, they were being bluffed and fooled. And so we ask the question, 
How do we know how to make good decisions? Key thing is, our decision-making has to be sanctified. Sanctified means to make it holy. When something is sanctified, it's touched by God's holiness. So decision-making is an area we need to let God touch in our lives. It says in Joshua 23, verse 13, that the decision that Joshua made with the Gibeonites became a snare. It became like a, a rope around their leg, you know, for, for the rest of time. And sometimes we can make decisions like that in life. It's not the best decision. And we've rushed into it and it becomes like a snare and a chain around our leg. And we, we're, we're sort of dragging a ball around, you know, forevermore. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, and I think we've all made poor decisions in life and may possibly regret that. And we might regret not inquiring of the Lord enough about that decision. So, it looks like a reasonable deal. Now, the last year has brought about uh, the popular conversations about fake news. I'm not going to go down the Donald Trump thing here, but, but social media is awash with every theory under the sun, you know, that COVID's from aliens through to, you know, it, it's, it's from here, it's there. I tell you, how do you know what you should believe? And what decisions you, should you be making based on what you're hearing in life about any subject? And this is a good one because people do make really, really big decisions without inquiring of the Lord. I've seen it time and again. And I've made some decisions that I've profoundly regretted by not taking more time over those decisions and allowing my decision-making to be sanctified, to be made more holy before the Lord. So as I said earlier... Throughout the Bible, sanctification is mentioned as a calling to align yourself with the will of God and to cleanse ourselves from sin. So we see here that Jesus made an interesting remark in John 17. This is part of a long prayer in the book of John that's recorded. And he's speaking to his disciples, his core team of disciples. And this is what he says to them. And it's not too long before he is crucified. He makes this remark and he says, Lord... Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Right? In other words, Lord, let your word make their heart align with the will of God, you see. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself. In other words, I, I make myself holy, Jesus is saying here, so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now remember this, Jesus is the truth. It's not that Jesus speaks the truth. He actually is the truth. There's a difference. You see that? This is a profound difference. Someone can speak truth, but in his case, he was the embodiment of it. He was the word of God. He was the word of God that came in the flesh and he was truth speaking. And so he's saying here and i want to draw your attention to verse 18 this is an important one he says as you sent me into the world i also have sent them into the world and it's in the context of this word sanctification all right and it's all about holiness so you can you can read it like this 
Lord, as you have sent me into the world, as pure, radiant holiness, that's who Jesus is, Lord, I am sending them, like me, to be holy in this world. Would that be a fair interpretation of, of the word of God? And you see, your calling, backing up to what I said on the previous slide, your calling is first and foremost to walk in the holiness of who Christ is. Friends, you've got to get this. If you want to find the will of God for your life, forget trying to find it. Focus on the holiness of God. Start walking in that. Align yourself with God's holiness and seek that diligently and things snap into focus in life, you know. And so Jesus really nailed the issue here about how we are sent. We are sent to represent the holiness of God. We are certainly not set, sent to represent religion as a system. Right? It's God's holiness. So let's, let's look at decision-making and the will of God. This whole thing about reasonable deals. There's a lot of reasonable deals in life that are put to you every day. It looks... Well, it looks pretty good. But you've got to know how to discern between the good and the best and the will of God. Uh, in 1983, I was at what's, what's now called uh, University of the Nations in America, where I did studies. And there was a girl named Sue there. Uh, and, you know, I thought Sue was the will of God for me. I can assure you. I thought, man, this, this is the best thing that's ever happened in my life is to meet this girl there at uh, uh, University of the Nations. And so I, I was pretty pleased about that. And uh, I thought, well, I need to pray about this. You know, I need to seek the Lord about it. And, and so I did. And I thought, man, uh, all right, I'm going to fast three days. Now, when you fast three days over a girl, you know she's got to be good, right? A reasonable deal. <laughs> and so I sought the Lord. And I was quite sure I knew what God would say. I was quite sure how it would sit with me after three days of prayer and fasting, you know? Self-confidence. Fasting is, a, if you're not accustomed to fasting, fasting eliminates the, the natural passions and desires of life, puts them below a desire for God. You know, the third day came and I was hungry and I had this increasing sense that this, was, this relationship with Sue was not right. And I thought, the devil, this is wrong. <laughs> You see, it's got to be right. It cannot be wrong, Lord. And, you know, by the end of the third day, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew I had to drop it. I could have convinced myself that this is just, these are just demonic thoughts telling me to leave it, leave it, because it was a reasonable deal. And so I, I had to embrace the reality that, no, don't pursue this relationship. God's always got something better in store. And there she, there she is, right over there. <laughs> it is true. How many decisions have you rushed into in life, big or small? The bigger the decision, take your time, friends. 
you may not know this, but I'm quite an impulsive person. And by nature, I, I will make very fast, snappy decisions. How I, it's the way I function, but I've come to realise that my impulsiveness is one of my biggest problems in life. And through simple, raw, raw, uh, poor decisions that I've made, I've disciplined myself to take time. Okay, no, I think it's right, but I'm going to take more time on this. No, back up, back up, back up, take a little more time. The amazing thing is, God's got a lot more time than you have. You might think, no, I've got to get this deal, it's too good to miss, they're offering it to me. Friends, there's going to be more good deals, and possibly a better one. People enter into marriage making massive decisions about their life only to be divorced within 18 months. How many times have I seen that? And friends, I know people who have married with deep regrets just a short time after being married. And you know, there's one thing worse, put it like this, than having uh, entering into a bad marriage is being married and wishing you were single. That's really a bad place to be at. Right? And so take your time on these things. I've seen too many young people, like I said last week, Lee and I were the directors of Youth with a Mission in Queensland for many years, and we've seen many people enter into poor decisions, even begging some young people, don't marry this person, don't do it, only to find out within months that the guy or the girl is behaving in a way that's, that's breaking the marriage in some way. And it's tragic. People do make decisions that can be a snare, right? It's like a chain around your leg. And like these Gibeonites came along, it looked like a reasonable deal. And it says in the word of God that Joshua did not seek the Lord. He didn't take time. He could have waited a day and given time for God to speak to, their, to him or to someone else, in fact. So, uh, getting into debt. Debt is a, is a snare around our leg. And we can enter into deals, looks like a reasonable deal, only to find out that you're enslaved. How many people do you know who are paying off a house they don't own? Because they've had to sell it up, but they're left with a debt. And they don't even have the asset anymore. That's quite common, friends. Maybe someone in this room is in that situation. Good news is God is very favourable toward helping you get out of that situation, even if you've entered into that Certainly entering into relationships, as I mentioned earlier. Perhaps it's a schedule you've committed to that's just going to burn you out. You know what? Take your time. Don't jump into that schedule and overcommit only to find that you're under emotional or mental stress. You go, oh, I wish I'd never said yes to this. Because right? it impacts others as well. That could be a work-related issue or just a personal issue. Something that needs to be sanctified is our marriage. You might think, what do you mean sanctify a marriage? Isn't it just me being sanctified and made holy before the Lord? What's it to do with us? Isn't it just me being holy, my wife being holy? No, you know what? Your marriage has to be sanctified, has to be set aside to the Lord for a holy purpose because that's the meaning of sanctification, right? And marriages do go belly up. I'm a farmer, so I've seen the sheep go belly up. Cattle farmer, actually. Belly up, we have that, that saying, right? It goes wrong, okay? And so sanctify your marriage. Sanctify your decision-making. And if you're a single, you might say, well, who have I got to make 
important decisions with in life. Well, well, you know what? You need to be able to have a team around you where you can submit really important decisions so that you're not left on your own. It's a terrifying thing to make a big decision that can change the rest of your life all on your own. Good thing is God is with you in that and he's with you in other people. And that's the beauty of community, is it not? We have a community here. You may have community, of course, extended beyond this, called the family or, or other people. Friends, value that community because God works through it deeply. And I wanted to just continue with this theme of justification, this, uh, sorry, sanctification this week, as it's where the rubber meets the road. Now, I want to tell you about, in conclusion, about uh, Aaron. Aaron. Who was Aaron? Aaron is a 24-year-old young man and I was talking with him at his house with his parents and he was struggling with his, in his walk with Christ and he said to me, and it was a, a good question, he said, what is holiness? And we were talking about sanctification, right? How do you know if this is right or that is wrong, right? And I began to think about it and I was observing Aaron's understanding of his faith and it seemed very rules oriented in the way he would approach right or wrong and it was almost like he was stuck in the law of Moses even though he wasn't but it was like you'd call this Protestant law you know New Testament law that's not really of Christ but it's just taken the rules of the book and I said Aaron holiness is got a bit to do with the rules I said but you know what holiness is holiness is you observing Jesus I said do you want to know what holiness is Aaron just don't go where you're going at the moment just be fascinated with who Jesus is you know the penny dropped and he went oh that's profound I remember sitting at the dining I th- well it's pretty for him it was profound somehow in his whole walk as a believer he missed the point that holiness is actually focusing on who Jesus is observing him reading about him soaking yourself in who Jesus is and when you do that the penny drops oh that's how you relate to people like Jesus does rather than some rule you see and so in conclusion today I want to steer you in your sanctification, good word. I want to steer you to be absolutely consumed by Jesus and fascinated by him. And you will see walking holiness. You know, 1985, I was running a training school and we went through the book of John. And we were looking at the life of Christ. And... It was on this theme of sanctification and holiness and what have you. And um, I remember sitting there in that room when the penny dropped for people that it's Jesus is the source of holiness. It's not the rules that you might think you have to follow. Now, friends, here's the majesty and the beauty of the new covenant. Wherever it says a command in the scripture, in the New Testament, there are commands, by the way. 
Here's one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is not advice, by the way. That is a command. But as a command, you might go, can't do it, too difficult. Ah, focus on Jesus. How did he love his neighbor as himself? And the penny drops. And so there we go. Let's finish up right now. So we've been looking at Joshua 8 last week. And now we looked at Joshua 9, these Gibeonites. And Joshua made a poor decision and didn't seek the Lord. So let's finish up and we will have a time of ministry. If there are things in your life that need to be sanctified, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's just your decision making. Maybe there's issues you have in past years made a poor decision and you're carrying around baggage from it here's here's the wonder of god the father friends you are not condemned joshua made a poor decision but god honored it and found a way for him to get out of that if you read the rest of the story god actually worked in that in that circumstance strangely and oddly god is a god of great forgiveness and if you've got a big millstone around your neck friends god wants to help you overcome that even though you made a poor decision do you believe that today i totally believe it and i see god's favor over even our poor decisions so we're going to have a time of ministry right now uh, phil's going to lead us let's go ahead and do that